So let's go back. I, I want you to think in your lifetime, in my lifetime, we've all experienced and we watch really now what happens almost weekly, daily, monthly. We see significant events that are happening in our world. We're seeing natural disasters, I mean, happen at, at an incredible pace. We, we see things destroyed. We see wildfires. We see hurricanes. We see, see uh, all these different things, tornadoes. And, uh, and so I was thinking, you know, in my lifetime, uh, some of the, the most significant things I can remember that's happened. And, so, and one of the most significant and horrific things I, I ever watched personally and was a part of was going way back uh, into 2005. And actually, some of the pictures you see up on the screen today, there's some of these pictures. Uh, Amanda kind of put this together for me. You'll see uh, you got 9-11 pictures in there. You got some uh, fires and, and those sort of things, hurricane pictures. Some of those are from, from the event that I want to share with you that, that I had an opportunity to be part of in 2005. If you all remember, and, and those you were around, uh, and most of you all in this room right now, as all the kids are over in another building, you all remember this. Some of you all may have been real little at that time. But in, on August 23rd, 2005, we witnessed and watched one of the most horrific hurricanes hit the United States Gulf Coast. It was a Category 5 hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico. When it hit, made landfall, it was a Category 4. We've all been around enough to know what that means. That means catastrophe. That means I mean, anything that is in his path is going to be destroyed. There's nothing that's going to stop it unless God were to reach down his hand and stop it in its path. That's the only way it's going to stop. And so shortly after August 23rd, 2005, after we all watched on TV uh, the, the, the events, the aftermath, and that's the title of today's message, aftermath of such an event, uh, I received a phone call shortly after that hurricane took place from the mayor of Scottsburg at that time, uh, Bill Graham, and he called me and he said, Greg, would you be willing to put together a team to go down to Mississippi and help out with some hurricane relief? We've adopted a city down there in Mississippi, a, a Scottsburg's sister city, take a bunch of stuff down there, takes the team down there and, and spend a few days uh, helping out this particular city. And we did that, and we put together a team of about 28, 30 people. Uh, we went down to uh, Mississippi, and we were not even close to the Gulf or the, the actual ocean area. We were still several miles, probably 40 or 50 miles inland at this city that we were helping, this little town that we were helping. is about the size of Scottsburg. And even you know that far inland, there was so much devastation, it was unreal. But when we first got down there, we took a drive over to the coast, and we went to Biloxi to deliver a bunch of, I think it was water, uh, to this church. And when we get try to drive through Biloxi, it was something like I could, could have never imagined. Seeing the pictures didn't do it justice on TV. And uh, I remember the one of the th one of the things for some reason is stamped in my mind that I will never forget this image when we were there uh, in Biloxi. We're about two miles inland from from the ocean, and there was a group, clump of trees in this one particular area. And in the very top of this clump of trees was this massive yacht in the top of these trees. 
I mean, it was probably a good 30 foot high off the ground, this yacht. I'm talking multi-million dollar yacht that was now beaten to pieces, but sitting in the treetops. And I'm like, oh my goodness, it's hard to believe. Two miles in from the ocean, the water, the wave surge would have been that high that it, put, it placed this yacht in the tops of those trees. Aftermath. We've all witnessed the aftermath of, of, of events like that in our lives. We see it on the news daily. The aftermath of 9-11. The aftermath of the, the tornado that went through Henryville. The aftermath of so many things like that. But you know what? There are other events that happen on a daily basis around us that also leaves an aftermath. And this is what I'm talking about. When I look around this room this morning, and some of y'all know personal stories. I, I know where you came from. I know what God has done in your life. I know some of the things that you've been through, and I know my own personal story. And there's been things and there have been events in our lives that have taken place that we never planned on, we never predicted, that we ever wanted to ever happen, but they happened in our lives, and it caused an aftermath. It caused complete destruction in our own lives, in the lives of other people. And I'm talking about things like divorce. I'm talking things like cancer. I'm talking about things like losing a child. Events that are horrific to us, but will leave an aftermath of destruction. And so I look today around our world and, and those that I come in contact with on a daily basis and, and talk with. And there's so many people right now that are living and dealing with the consequences of aftermath in their life. They're dealing with the consequences of a, horrific, of a horrific event. And I'm telling you what, folks, I have been there, done that, and I still, to this day, 17 years removed of the most horrific time in my life where my choices took me away from God, and I'm still, in, still dealing with the effects of aftermath of that, those choices that, that were made. And I'll, 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 there's, there'll be consequences that I will have to deal with the rest of my life because of those choices. But here's some good news this morning. There's some good news. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. We're going to talk about that in a minute, amen? You know, in this word this morning... We are given many different promises by God. There, this book is full of promises. As a matter of fact, and I think, Dane, I gave, gave these this number. There, you realize there are over 8,810 promises in the Bible. And 7,487 of those promises were made directly by God to humankind. And I looked every one of them up this week. Just kidding. No, I did not do that. <laughs> it's called research and it's called Google and all those things. But I was curious about how, and I knew there was a bunch, but I was blown away when I started researching that there were that many promises in the Bible that were made to us by God. There are things like, and, and these are just a, a few, but the promises to strengthen us. 
Promises to give us rest. Promises to answer our prayers. Promises to be with us. Promises to protect us. Those are all really good promises. Don't you agree? You're glad to hear those promises. We live our lives based on those promises. But you know there's another promise that that God makes that Jesus himself spoke about, and they're in red letters. So we know that Jesus made it. And this isn't the promise that we all really want to look to very often. But in John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus makes this promise to, to us. In this world, you will have trouble. I don't know about you, but that does not excite me that much. <laughs> because we want the good stuff. We want to know that God's going to bless us. And we're going to have trouble? That's a promise. And we all know in this room, I guarantee we can all hold our hand up and we can say, yep, uh-huh, I have felt that promise. Anybody, everybody with me on that? You have felt that promise. I have felt that promise many times in life. Why does Jesus tell us that? Because he knows we're humans. We live in a fallen world. It's going to happen. So you just might as well figure it out. It's going to happen and, and, and start dealing with that and start learning how to deal with those things. Start dealing with the aftermath of the troubles that we're going to have in life. Because, folks, they're going to come. And sometimes they're going to come fast and furious. Sometimes I pray, God, listen, I just got through one thing and now here's another. Come on, give me a break. At least give me 24 hours. Anybody ever felt that way? But it doesn't always work that way. Man, it seems like whenever you have one flat tire, you have three more. <laughs> when one kid's sick, the other two get sick. One bad report leads to another bad report in just a couple of weeks. And goes on and on and on. And Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So how do we handle that? How do you handle and deal with the aftermath that life is going to throw at us? So I want us to go all the way back to Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And I want us to take just for a few moments this morning and look at a time in the nation of Israel where they were dealing with some aftermath. We all know in this room this morning that Israel, God's chosen people, the blessed nation, but there was a time when Israel, uh, people, they, they turned away from God. They began to sin. They began to uh, you know, do everything against what God had, had commanded them to do. And because of that, they go into a time of exile the Persians, they come in, they overtake Jerusalem, they tear down the walls, this, the, this holy city has been destroyed, and, and it's desolate. And, and for many years, the, the Israelites, they were, they were basically became slaves, in a sense, to the Persians. Then, but there's this leader of the Jewish people, Nehemiah here, who has kind of gotten found favor with King Artaxerxes, who's a Persian king, who's taken them into this exile, but Nehemiah has favor with him. And God begins to use Nehemiah to bring restoration and a, and a message of restoration to Israel. And he has guts enough to go to King Artaxerxes and, 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 and ask, because he has favor, can I go? I've seen what has happened to Jerusalem. I see the walls have been destroyed. I've seen all this happen. It's all destroyed. And there's just a few of our people 
There's just a few of our people left. And I would like permission, king, to go and look at Jerusalem and potentially rebuild back the walls that were there. And so that's the narrative of where we're going to be at this morning from Nehemiah chapter 1. I, I love, I, many years ago I did a series of sermons on this particular book and I loved it because, listen, there's a lot of good stuff. And I want to encourage you this week, we're only going to look at, at, at the first chapter today, but I want to encourage you to go home and read this this week and get into the story, especially if you're dealing with a, a, a period of after, uh, aftermath right now in your life of, of some things that's went on. But anyway, so let's pick up in... Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 1, we're just going to read the, the first uh, chapter here. It's not very long. But I want us to kind of walk our way through what's going on here with Israel. And we're going to pull out some things that I think we deal with today. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant. That word remnant you, we use a lot, especially when it comes to, to God. And, and uh, a remnant is a, is a group of people, and typically it's a small group of people that are still faithful to God. And I want to tell you something right now, church. God is, will move. If there's even just a few people that are willing to rise up and live for Him and, and, and stay true to Him, He will use a small group of people. He'll use that remnant to bring forth a mighty revival in this land. We've seen it time and time again. And I believe I believe God is using a remnant of people right now in this country to bring forth an awakening like we've never seen before in these last days before Jesus comes. That's worth an amen right there. Amen. And I believe we're part of that remnant. But the remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the providence or province in great trouble and disgrace. Why are they in great trouble? Because they sinned against God. Anytime you sin, that's going to bring you trouble. Right. And let me, let me give you a little advice. If you think you're getting away with it and you're continuing in your sin, it's, it's only, it's going to, you're going to be able to hide it for so long. Amen. You hear me? You think you're fooling everybody. You're not fooling everybody. And you're not feeling God. That's exactly right. You're not fooling God. It's going to happen. Your sins will always find you out. But they're back in the province in great trouble and disgrace because of their sins. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God, the God of heaven. Listen, I pray Nehemiah had such, had such a burden on his heart for the fact that this holy city was now and desolate. He had such a burden on his heart that all God's chosen people, the Israelites, had walked away, and now they're eating the results in, in, of what happened from their sin. And I pray that the sins of this nation burns your heart so much that you go to God in prayer each and every day. Each and every day. Because it's the prayers of this nation, God's people, that's going to begin to change things. Verse 5, he said, Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commands. I want you to catch this. 
the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants and the people of Israel. Pray for those that are scattered. There are those of y'all in, in this room this morning, you know somebody, you have kids, you have family members that have scattered to the wind right now. They once were following God, they, they were, were once in church, they grew up, they, they know who God is, but many times because of circumstances, because of choices, they're no longer following God. When was the last time you prayed for them? When was the last time you got on your knees and wept like you've never wept before and crying out to God for the return? Nehemiah had a burden on his heart for these people that once followed God that are now scattered to the wind. And he wanted to see them restored. Let's pick up there. And I confess the sins we Israelites... Hear me, church. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We act, have acted very wickedly toward you. We have no, not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant, Moses. Most of the most of the chaos that comes into our life is self-inflicted. Come on. It's because of the choices we make. It's we, the sin that we've committed. And so when we live in that, chaos will ensue. And I want to ask you something this morning. And I, and I, want, to, I want to encourage you to take a good, hard self-look this morning. Because if you feel like your life is chaos then really look at yourself and look, look at your relationship with God. Is there something in my life right now that's really hindering my relationship with them? You see, the Israelites, because of the sin that they committed and they had not confessed that, listen, we're all sinners. We understand that. We realize we're going to fall, and fall, uh, fall short of Him each and every day. But listen, when we recognize the sin in our life, when we go to confess it to God... Verbally speaking, ask his forgiveness. He is quick to forgive us of those things. But it's when we don't confess those things and we keep going down the same road day after day after day and think we're getting by with it and, and everything's okay and we start our life gets, begins to be chaos and we start feeling the effects of the aftermath of our decisions that we're making. We're like, I don't understand why this is going on. Well, you know what? It may be because of the choices you're making and you're not turning back to God like you should. I I have been there. I'm a living testimony of what that is like. Amen. So Nehemiah says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Verse 8, he says, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. There it is. Black and white, God's saying, if you're unfaithful, then that's what's going to happen, and that's what happened. And then they were scattered. 
But listen to this in verse 9. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now that's, y'all off of quiet on that because that's, now we're getting into good stuff here. Listen to that. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even... If your exiled people, he's not even necessarily talking about the remnant of godly people right now. The exiled people are at the farthest horizon. The ones that are the farthest away from me right now. The ones that seem like they will never ever hear the calling of God again. How many of y'all know somebody like that? You, you, you've watched them once walk with God, but now it's like they've turned away from God and they're doing some pretty messed up stuff and they're living a messed up lifestyle and you think, man, they'll never come back to God. They have they've blown it too far. How many of y'all know somebody you felt that way about somebody? Amen. We all have. I have people that have thought that about me at one point in my life. But listen to me. That's the encouraging word here right now. As long as we repent and turn back to God, it doesn't matter how far away you have gotten, He will call you back. And I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for, for my name. And they're your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. In Nehemiah, again, I want to encourage you to go read more of this book. And Nehemiah sets off. And he heads to Jerusalem. And imagine the gut-wrenching feeling he had to have when he walks up to this city, God's holy city. And he sees the wall that once had stood around this city that, that offered protection to this city. Everything in it is in shambles. The night that, uh, or the day that the tornado went through uh, Henryville, I'll never forget it. We were living here in town the day that all that was going down. Tornado sirens and everything were going off, and we'd been watching the weather, and we knew it was going to be a bad day. And, and I remember watching standing out outside and watching the storm clouds begin to, to pump in. I remember as we're literally just watching, it's funny how you're supposed to be going to the basement, but you stand out and watch those things. That's just me. But, and so, so we're outside watching this thing roll in and, and looking to the south, you just knew, man, Henryville's, it's, it's not good that way. You could tell the, cl the clouds were bad here, but they were a whole lot worse that way, and you knew it was not good. And we started hearing reports of tornadoes and, the, and those sort of things going on. And at that time, I was part of the Southern Baptist uh, uh, disaster relief team we'd went through all that training and everything and so uh i had all the credentials i had the badges and all that and so literally within just 
minutes after the tornado went through there, in order to get into that town, they were really only letting people in, credential people. You had to be a first responder. You had to, and so I had the badge. I could get in. And I remember driving, getting in a car and driving down to Henderville, and, and uh, I couldn't get, we couldn't get close to the town. I mean, everything was blocked off already. I remember parking at the forestry and walking the rest of the way down uh, to Henryville. And I'll never forget when I got close to the school, and I remember looking over at the little diner, the little, the little restaurant there, and you know what I'm talking about, and seeing that school bus completely into that thing and start seeing the, the devastation that was going on. And my heart just sunk. And I can remember the phone call I got. It's probably been 15 years ago now when one of my best friends from college, been a best friend of mine for, well, it still is. But when my best friend, I got a phone call when my best friends was in jail, had just been arrested. He'd been accused of something that he didn't do. And I watched his life just go through unbelievable stuff. And when I got that phone call, my heart sunk. Because I knew this was not going to be good. Regardless of his innocence, this is not going to be good. Because he was a pastor, a youth pastor, in a very large city. And they were going to hammer him. And they did. All over the news. And they hung him out there, and he went to prison for two years for something he didn't do. But I know what it felt like to look at the devastation of the choice of somebody else made in the accusation and what it did to his life. I've, I've felt the pain of getting a phone call When my older sister, many, many years ago now, when my older sister called to tell me that my mom's got cancer. It hurt. It felt like my world and our world was just turned upside down. And it was for a while. It's gut-wrenching. And you think, hey, God, where are you at? And Nehemiah, Nehemiah stands before the ruins of Jerusalem. And he starts thinking, all right, God, you're here. You have promised that you will bring us back. We have confessed our sins, and, and now we're going to rebuild this back. We see the aftermath. We see the desolation here. We see the death. So let's get to work. Let's get busy restoring this holy city. And they did. And they started cleaning up. And first priority was to begin to rebuild that wall back. Listen, the wall is important because it is, it is, it's, it's what protects us. And there's a wall right now. There's a holy wall around your family. 
And I pray each and every day that we all take care of that wall, that wall of protection around us. And that wall that's there is the Holy Spirit guiding us. And that wall that's around us is the Word of God. He protects us from that. And we got to protect that wall. we got to protect the words that's in this Bible. Because the words of this Bible and this book will protect our families. It will protect our lives. It will provide healing to us when we need healing. It will provide restoration to us when we need restoration. Because it tells us of the promises of God and the good news of who He is and what He does for each and every one of us. And Nehemiah knew the walls had to get, get repaired. And so he goes to work. And, and when they begin to start working, rebuilding the walls and restoring Jerusalem, the enemies uh, of, of the Israelites didn't like it. They started to rise up. And I like this part and read about it later on in the week. But I love this part where it talks about is, is these, other, these other nations that started to rise up and they started getting mad because of what they're doing. They started to come against him and wanted to make war and, and fight him and everything. And it talks about later on, I think in chapter 5, how... Uh, how uh, uh, Nehemiah, he had a group of people that, that as, as one group was building the wall, he had another group that was there with swords and spears and ready to fight off the, the, those that came against them. And sometimes you've got to do a couple of different things when you're coming out of, coming out of a, a horrific event in your life. You've got to stand on the Word of God and you've got to rebuild that wall back. But sometimes you've got to fight the enemy along the way because he doesn't want to see you restored. He doesn't want to see you come back to God. And he's going to fight you every step step of the way. And he's going to do that through people that don't want to see you restored. And so he's going to bring those naysayers at you. Those people that are going to put out your fire and, and, and bring you down. But you've got to stand and you've got to fight and you've got to rebuild the wall that God has placed in our lives of protection today. Amen. It's hard. And it may take years. It won't happen overnight. But, it'll but you can do it. The walls of Jerusalem were built back. They were restored. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of prayer. It took a lot of forgiveness. It took a lot of humility to do that and to admit that I'm wrong. Listen, the, the number one thing that's got to happen in this house today, if you're going through something in life, and you can't figure out why it's all happening, and, and recognize it's probably self-inflicted, as we've all discovered. That, that we're bringing this on ourselves because of our sin, admit you're the problem. It's not everybody else that's a problem that's going on in their life. We like to accuse and, and, and th cast blame on everybody else. Look in the mirror, honey, come on. We don't like to do that, but it's got to start there in that rebuilding process. And listen to me. This morning... I'm going to give you a tool. I, I just got this in a text message the other day, so Dana didn't get this on the screen. I wasn't going to do that to her, throwing it up on the last minute. But, uh, so I got this text message. Again, I talked about this being a wall of protection for us. Right now, there's some in this room, you're going through all kinds of anxiety because of aftermath. There's some in this room you have turned to other things because of the aftermath. You, you want to you cover this hurt up. And so some of y'all, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking this, somebody in this room, you have turned to the bottle. You have turned to alcohol this morning. 
And you're using that to try to fill a void that's no longer there. The void you're missing is the void that was left when you walked away from God. And, and so, and listen, I get it. I, I did it. You try to fill that void with, with things, cars, money, house, whatever. If that don't work, then, then you turn to, to drugs and alcohol and, and, and men and women and all those different... You, you try to fill that. And it, it's, just, it's simple. You, you've just walked away from God and now you're missing something there. But I want to I I share something. This was cool stuff. And I, again, uh, very cool stuff. And uh, that, that just, this is the number one tool. The number one tool. This is the, this is the hook. We're coming to the end here. This is the hook. If you want to change, begin to change your circumstances this morning and start walking out of this aftermath, math, get this. Get your pens and paper out. Uh, again, it's not up on the screen for you right now, but I, I want to give you this stuff. These are, this is good stuff. Real good stuff. A friend of mine, we were, we were talking the other day, and uh, she sends me this text with this, this information. I had not seen this. This is Again, this is good stuff. Again, Bible wall, wall of protection. It will save us from a world of hurt. It will help re- rebuild and come out of the aftermath. But the Center for Bible Engagement polled 40,000 people ages 8 to 80. That's, that's a wide range of people, okay, in ages. But 40,000 people, so that's a pretty good, good survey, good study. And this is, and this is uh, the survey. If people read their Bible four times a week, just four times a week, doesn't even say how, uh, the question doesn't even talk about really how long you read, whether it's five minutes, an hour, Five hours, I, I don't have five. I, I struggle sometimes to get 10 minutes a day to, to really uh, focus and just read God's Word for, to, to absorb it. But, but uh, just four times, four times a week, listen to these statistics. This is good stuff, and I'm telling you right now, this, this, I, I knew this, but, uh, but this just confirmed it, and this is going to change somebody's life sitting in here right now. This is going to help rebuild the wall and, and come out of the aftermath. 40,000 people polled, 8 to 80. If you read your Bible four times a week, feeling lonely. Anybody in here ever feel lonely? Decreases by 30%. Okay, that's good. Anybody in here deal with anger? Anybody don't? No, I don't deal with anger. <laughs> anger issues decrease 32%. Bitterness in relationships, there's something we all deal with. Bitterness toward an ex-spouse, kid, friends, whatever, offenses that's happened, we deal with bitterness. Bitterness in relationships decrease 40%. Alcoholism, this is speaking to somebody this morning, I want you to get this. Alcoholism decreases by 57%. And the last one I want to share with you is this. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You don't have to hold your hand up, but who in here this morning feels like you're maybe a little stagnant spiritually this morning? I've been there. Feeling spiritually stagnant decreases by 60%. That's pretty good. 
you want to rebuild the walls and you want to start walking out of this aftermath that, that happens in our lives, there you go. Word of God, at least four times a day, five or ten minutes, and those are results that you'll begin to see. Sometimes it's small steps. Pastor Dave, you guys come on up. Sometimes it's small steps, but you'll get there. Some of you this morning, you feel like you've been walking through the aftermath of events of your life for a long time. Maybe you have. But it doesn't mean you can't walk out of it. And that's the thing. Sometimes we, people just give up. They're like, hey, that's just the way it's going to be now. No, it doesn't have to be that way. Why can I say that? Well, let's go back to John chapter 16, verse 33. And we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to finish the rest of that verse. You see, I, I read that verse to show you the promise that we're going to have trouble in this world. Well, let's look at the latter part of that verse because I left that on purpose because I wanted this to be the hook this morning. I have told you these things so that, you, uh, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Here's the good stuff. Get ready to clap. Get ready to get excited. This is what it's about. But take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. You see, there's another promise. I've taken care of it. All you need to do, all we need to do is fall in line with Him. Fall in line with his word. Get over ourselves, confess our sins, and say, God, I blew it, but you know what? I'm going to do better tomorrow. And I'm going to start working, and I'm going to start rebuilding the wall, and I'm going to stand on the truth of your word, and I'm going to get it every day. And God, I know and believe in that you're going to rebuild back the walls of this holy city, just like in Jerusalem. You're going to bring, build, rebuild back the walls of my heart and strengthen them in my family. In Jesus' name. God, we love you this morning. Father, I pray this morning, God, that whoever's sitting in this house, God, that's been going through some horrific times. And God, it's not always a result of our own sin. Maybe it's because of somebody else's and, and we, we bear the consequences of that. And God, that happens so often too. But Father, I pray the spirit of offense, I pray against that this morning in Jesus' name. God, I, I pray forgiveness where it needs to take, take place as well, God, in this house this morning. And that's speaking to somebody today. You're carrying around a, uh, an offense, an unforgiveness. And because of that, it's holding you back from working out of some of the aftermath that you've experienced in your life. You can leave it here today. God, we give it, you, give it to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.